What's up? Somebody wake me. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderbergh. That's me. John Luckenbaugh. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space. And we're, we're, we're queuing up. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode two of Queued Up Podcast on podcasting. Now what? <laughs> i'm pod vader he's john luckenbaugh john how you doing this week uh it's been better but you know we're gonna make it work today we'll just skip right to this particular portion of the show every week we plan on using a new recording setup so that we can give you guys an idea of what each recording setup sounds like as we move along however best laid plans john uh <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of technical bomb went off in your office? Yeah, I've been on 48-hour Apple support, and uh, it hasn't gone well. I have a new computer on the way. <laughs> that sucks. So we are, once again, using Zoom uh, just for the ease uh, of recording these particular episodes. Once John gets uh, all of his tech in place and working properly, we will uh, we'll, we'll we'll go to the rotating different recording platforms. But for now, this is a Zoom call with me on my Blue Yeti mic. You're still on the same microphone setup though, right? Yes, I am. I have the Electro Voice RE20 and it's going to the Zoom F8N. It's just a different computer this time. We've got our business topics this week. We have, we're going to be talking about advertising in podcasts. Uh, we have our technical topic this week. The lesson that I'll be taught is about PodSafe music. And then we'll wrap things up with the latest notes from Apple, thanks to mypodcastreviews.com. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, it's really easy to do. You can send us an email at info at qd-up.com. should say hyphen instead of dash. It's qd-up.com. You can reach me uh, personally on Twitter at the Real Pod Vader. My DMs are open, so I'm very easy to get in touch with there. Or you can send an email to nextfanup at gmail.com. That's the email address for my other sports-related podcast that I do. Uh, if you're into the NFL, I, I like to talk about football. But uh, that is not what we're here for. We are here to talk about the business of podcasting. And before we even jump into the business of advertising, there's a quick note from the podcast movement virtual sessions, John, uh, that happened over the last week. The keynote was done by my internet boyfriend, Tom Webster, from Edison Research, and he revealed a little bit from the share of ear study. Now, this is a study that they used to reveal on an annual basis for free. Now you have to be a paid customer to the Edison Research Group to get this type of really in-depth, nitty-gritty research from them. But Tom, being the giver that he is, provided this little nugget to the folks that attended Podcast Movement Virtual. And that is that podcast listening is now at an all-time high. It is at 6% of all audio listening done in the world. That's compared to music, podcasts, audiobooks, whatever people listen to, podcasts now take 6% of those people's ears. 
That's insane, man. <laughs> that is uh, that's up from two percent in 2014. Now, normally, I, I I tell you, and we used a wonderful quote from me in our social media posts this week <laughs> that uh, be cautious of when somebody presents a percentage versus an actual number because the actual number isn't that sexy. In this particular case, this is actually a big deal uh, to move up that high in sort of the share of what people are doing. You know, you look at everything that a person does with their eardrums on a daily basis and 6% of the time is spent listening to podcasts. And that's up three times from what it was mm-hmm. six years ago. That's some pretty, that's some pretty impressive growth. It sure is. That means you are changing people's daily habits and that's a big deal. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously we'll hope that uh, next year it grows even bigger. Hey, maybe we can uh, increase it by a hundred percent, just like we did our listens from the trailer to episode one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about the percentage I just threw out there, people. It was huge, huge growth. Something that was huge growth, uh, Pod Sites released a report on the effectiveness of ad buys, and they have a pretty big sample size that they worked off of here in their report. Now, I'll mention in their key takeaways, uh, they mentioned that sequential advertising, meaning multiple spot placements, yields higher conversion rates for site visits and purchases, which quite honestly, I feel is just sort of logical, makes sense type of news there. And again, larger campaigns in terms of impressions will yield higher conversion rates. And again, I feel that's just logical sense. If you're placing more ads in a campaign versus a campaign that places smaller ads, of course, you're going to have higher conversions because there's more ads making more impressions. Now, their methodology the data for the study was collected and analyzed in aggregate from all pod site campaigns. Uh, the aggregated data has been anonymized and does not identify individual brands or publishers. Pod sites defines a conversion rate as the number of attributed users that visited the site divided by the unique users that downloaded an episode. An attributed user is someone from a household that downloaded a podcast and visited a brand's digital property. Now, pod sites has got a lot more stuff that you can check out and you can go to their website and read all of the different tools that they use to get this type of information. Uh, They also utilize IP matching to identify distinct households and do not collect any demographic information from listeners other than their approximate location at the time of impression. Now, their analysis overview, while this is listed as a Q3 benchmark report, actually (laughs) consists of campaigns that started in Q4 of 2018 through Q3 of 2020. And that includes 1.6 billion impressions, 804 campaigns, 305 brands with a $38 million ad spend. That's a pretty significant sample size, if I do say so myself. Two years sample size. The impressions to ad spend, that's uh, that's not too bad. Where I th- we came up with the calculation of just over two cents per impression. And if you were buying ads to say promote your podcast and you were spending two cents per impression, you'd be pretty happy with that. I would be. <laughs> Let's talk about their ad placement distribution. Over half of Podsite's campaigns place their ads in the mid-roll spot, followed by the pre-roll spot. Their clients purchased 59.6% of the mid-rolls that they had available. Then 21.6% purchased just pre-rolls. 
12.6% purchased pre-roll and mid-roll, 5.3% purchased just uh, purchased all three spots, the pre-roll, mid-roll, and post-roll, and uh, 0.9%, less than 1% of their clients purchased a pre-roll, post-roll package. So that's also significant to note as we continue to go through the information that they're going to present, because the average conversion rate rises with the number of spot placements within an episode. And again, I think this just makes logical sense. If you have three ad spots in an episode from a single advertiser, you're going to find a higher conversion rate than you would if you have less than three. Or it's better to go one for three than 0 for one, I guess. Very true. (laughs) Uh, Just ask Mookie Betts. It seems pretty apparent. Also pretty apparent, as they point out here in their average conversion rate by placement, they have a higher conversion rate for the pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll package than they do for the pre-roll and post-roll package. So basically, in order of how they saw conversion rates, the pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll package had the highest conversion rate, followed by a pre-roll, mid-roll package, followed by just a mid-roll, followed by just a pre-roll with the worst conversion rate being a pre-roll, post-roll package at under 1% of conversion. So that really shows you that the post-roll isn't a a worthy investment. Is that how you feel, Jeff? As we move further into this, like the next slide in their presentation is the return on ad spend by placement. And pre-roll, mid-roll has the biggest return on ad spend with $3.56. Just the mid-roll is $2.48. The pre-roll is just $2.10. But that pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll package, which had the highest conversion rate, uh, has the least amount of return on ad spend at $1.15. So I do feel like there's this dirty little secret out there that's not so secret. Nobody listens to post-rolls. But we still get paid (laughs) to run post-roll advertisements. And I feel like... This report from Podsites is sort of finally telling the ad buyers, stop paying for those post rolls. They're worthless. So if you look at the average conversion rate by placement, Jay, the difference between the pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll and the pre-roll, mid-roll is only 0.14%. Like, again, I think it shows that the post-roll isn't worth the investment. Right. Because the difference between... The return on ad spend is $2.41 to be exact. Mm -hmm. Pretty significant there. So I do feel like Podsites is trying to let their clients know, stop paying for post-roll ads because they are worthless. (laughs) (laughs) They might have a higher conversion, but ultimately you're going to pay more to get that higher conversion. Mm. And you can pay a little bit less for just a pre-roll, mid-roll, and find a much higher return on ad spend. Bingo. There's some more information here about the um, average purchase conversion rate for attributed visitors by placement. And again, pre-roll, mid-roll comes out on the top in their study, and even more information there. Now we get to an area that they've listed as miscellaneous fun facts. And I will tell you, there's a lot more information involved in this particular report, and some of it will go over. Some of it we won't because it honestly takes someone much more intelligent than me to explain what some of these numbers are actually telling me. And honestly, if anyone from Podsites is listening to this podcast, we'd love to have you on to go over some of these questions that we might have on some of these slides. 
that you presented, because I do think this is important information for podcasters to have. And I do mean podcasters of all sizes and from all ilks, whether you're a corporate podcaster or an independent podcaster, what have you. Advertising is a huge revenue stream in your revenue river, as I like to put it. What I said earlier, uh, the average conversion rate by campaign size, they saw a bigger conversion rate for campaigns that were larger, larger being greater than 1.5 million impressions, medium being 250,000 to 1.5 million impressions, and small being less than 250,000 impressions. And they saw a higher conversion rate for the larger campaigns, saw a medium rate for the medium campaigns, and saw the least amount of conversion for the smaller campaigns. And again, this sort of goes back to there's more impressions than you're going to have a higher conversion. Now, I will say, though, John, as you pointed out earlier, and and now I've just made this connection myself, the conversion rate for a large campaign uh, that's greater than 1.5 million impressions is 1.68%. But the conversion rate for a small campaign, which is less than 250,000 impressions, is 1.41%. The difference is uh, a quarter of a percent. That's not very much. No, it's really not. Although I suppose at the money that you're spending to get 1.5 million impressions versus 250,000 impressions, a quarter percent could actually be uh, a couple thousand dollars. There's a great uh, slide here about the conversion rate by ad type, dynamically inserted ads versus embedded ads. And This does mention that embedded ads have an average conversion rate of 1.38%, while dynamically inserted ads have an average of 1.07%. However, when you look at it broken down by industry, dynamically inserted ads actually outperform in many categories than embedded ads, specifically sports, retail, credit cards that weren't even any embedded credit card ads, mail delivery services, fashion. It isn't until you get to automotive, and this is under 2% conversion, that you find embedded ads starting to improve, showing better conversion rate than dynamically inserted ads. Jay, what's the difference between dynamically inserted ads and embedded ads? I'm glad you asked, John. (laughs) I'll start with embedded ads. Embedded ads are ads that will live in the podcast forever. You're going to do it once. It's going to be in the content of that podcast forever. Dynamic inserted ads Uh, give you the ability to place an ad for only as long as the campaign has been purchased for. So say the client has a two-month-long campaign, you're going to place the ad using the dynamic insertion tool. When that two-month campaign comes to an end, that ad's going to be removed from all of the podcasts that it was running in. Now, hopefully you can replace the ad with a new ad. So you're still going to monetize the backend, people that are going to check out the backend inventory of your podcast. There's some research in some companies that will talk to you about how 85 to 90% of all downloads to a new episode comes within the first 36 hours of that podcast's, of that particular episode's life, which is fine. But at the end of the day, when I look at my monthly downloads, my monthly listens, if there's still an inventory of 10% on my back catalog for an evergreen podcast such as this one, then why don't I make some money off of that 10%? It's just, it's just another option. And dynamic ads, dynamic insertion tools allow you to do that. Don't be confused 
with dynamic inserted ads mean less money than embedded ads? That's not true necessarily. Yes, a lot of companies that have dynamic insertion are using remnant inventory from radio, which have much lower CPMs, like $3 CPMs versus the average $20 to $25 CPM for a host red ad. Uh, And host red ads do typically tend to be more embedded than dynamically inserted. But you can use dynamic insertion for host red ads as well. And there are creative ways to make your content, make it sound like they weren't dynamically inserted. There's all sorts of great things. Do not, again, do not necessarily equate dynamic inserted ads as cheap ads versus embedded ads being more expensive ads. That's not necessarily the case. The dirty little secret here that the ad buyers don't want podcasters to know is they've actually paid you less for an embedded ad Mm. because they've only paid you for a two month long campaign, even though that ad lives in your podcast forever. So anybody listening to that podcast three months, four months, four years down the line, you are no longer getting paid for that impression of that particular advertisement. I guess that's the other cool thing with the dynamic insertion ads is that you can continually update your your ads. So even if you release an episode in 2020, if they go back and listen to the episode in 2022, it will be the updated ad that you're using at that time. Correct? Correct. Now, in this particular chart, it shows that sports dominated conversion rate. It's at 6%. It's almost at 6% for embedded ads, and it's over 6% for dynamically inserted ads. And then retail came in second, and it is just above 2%, just uh, probably two and a quarter percent based on the way that this chart is set up. They note here that the high conversion rates for sports is likely due to the excitement upon the return of sports because coronavirus put a pause on all sports. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. I think sports is always a high performer when it comes to the types of ads that you're going to run in your content. Jay, why are sports ads really high converting? Well, I'll I'll use wrestling in particular. Uh, The wrestling category and podcasting those podcasts tend to have really large audiences. And the reason why is because it appeals to the lowest common denominator. So if you are, if you are looking for the largest amount of audience, then you need, you need content that appeals to everyone. And if you're appealing to the lowest common denominator, it's only, again, it's, it's sort of just like large campaigns versus smaller campaigns. You're going to get a larger audience. Uh, when appealing to the lowest common denominator. Now, as we'll get further into this report, you're going to find that appealing to the lowest common denominator will bring you the largest audience, but it doesn't necessarily bring you the biggest pocketbooks. And again, the lowest common denominator doesn't tend to be very rich, is basically what that what that gets down to. There is a lovely chart here about how direct-to-consumer brands versus B2B brands the direct-to-consumer ads do convert at a higher rate than they do for B2B in podcasting. Uh, So that's something to take note. Then there's a couple of other slides which we don't quite understand. And again, if anyone from PodSites is listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast to talk about those particular things. And if you are an ad expert, I highly recommend going to check out the PodSites Benchmark Report for Q3. 
we also noted that there's a slide in here that shows the average conversion rate by industry. And we see that pop culture and news and politics dominate all of the other categories. And it's sort of like in tiers. It's pop culture, news and politics, followed by sports, mail delivery services, credit cards, retail, followed by the next tier of home, education, automotive, fashion, games. And then there's another tier and another tier after that. And it ends with human resources. However, just a few slides down, the average purchase conversion rate by industry, human resources is number one with a bullet, way more than any of the other categories. And pop culture is dead last. Uh, an average purchase conversion rate from attributed visitors by industry. You had interesting insight on that, John. So that goes back to what you were saying before, Jay, with the the pop culture going for the lowest common denominator. But for human resources, it looks like you might have less conversion rate, but those that do convert actually spend a lot more for those conversions. So you might spend a million dollars for a conversion, but that conversion might end up spending 10 million. So you would kind of make out in the end anyway. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense, quite honestly. And why human resource people spend more, I don't know. I will tell you right now, as being someone that has been in the um, unemployment field for a little while, I can tell you that the promises these sites are making aren't necessarily factual. And I'll leave it at that. And I won't even <laughs> mention names. In any case, there's a lot more information in this particular report. I highly recommend you check it out. There's campaigns by industry. They, they break down how many campaigns they ran in each industry. So there's some good information in this. Highly recommend it. Pod sites. Good work out of them. We appreciate the work you are doing. John, is it that time you're going to teach me a lesson once again? Absolutely, Jay. Let's get to it. Best pod safe music sites. Now, full disclosure here, John, I actually know quite a bit about pod safe music, but for the purposes of our uh, bit here, I will play dumb. What, what is the purpose to music in a podcast? Why would somebody want music in their podcast? It plays a large role in creating engaging podcasts for your listeners. The music helps in setting the right mood, and it also supports your branding identity. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, is, what is audio branding? What are you talking about? Okay. Well, that refers to using the audio to reinforce your brand's persona in your listener's mind. For example, using certain tones or slogans are an example of audio branding. There are several benefits that you can get from this, including building credibility and trust, which is using consistent music and audio that allows you to build that credibility and trust. When you have a focused approach for the sound, then you can express your brand's values and establish credibility and trust among your audience. So you mean when I go da-da-da, da-da-da, people know exactly what, I know. what I'm talking about? <laughs> Wherever I hear that, I know exactly what that is. I wonder how many people know when they hear Pod Vader is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what kind of music can you use in your podcast, John? Pod safe music. What the hell is pod safe music? What is that word? Pod safe. 
the reality is that most podcasts don't make enough money to pay huge licensing fees required for popular music. So a copyright infringement case could easily cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars if, between legal fees and settlement costs. So the smart way of using music is by selecting pod safe music. <laughs> when I just hummed the uh, <laughs> Emperor's March, we're not going to get a bill sent our way because we didn't use the actual Emperor's March, right? Let's hope. <laughs> okay, I'm knocking on wood right now. Can you foot that bill for me? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so, PodSafe music refers to the use of illegal music for podcasts. And this should be a big concern for everybody, as using music with no appropriate license can lead to a lot of legal issues. PodSafe music allows podcasters to use music that is inexpensive, legal, and without having any hassles. I'll jump in here and stop playing dumb. It's super important to make sure you have the right licensing for the music that you use in the podcast. And many of the sites out there, when you're looking at PodSafe music, will mention that they have the licensing. Make sure that you read those licensing agreements so you're getting exactly what you're looking for. Because if you you could end up buying the wrong license and still end up in a world of trouble uh, down the road. There's several different kinds of podcast music that you can use, Jay. The first one is Creative Commons music, which allows the artist to share their music with the world for free. They usually let you use a piece of music without getting permission, as long as you give credit to the artist. The thing with Creative Commons license, though, are that they attach to the work and authorize everyone who comes in contact with the work to use it consistent with the license. What that means is if you, Jay, have a copy of a Creative Commons license work, that you might give to Maya and Maya would be authorized to use that work consistent with the creative commons license as well. Then you would have the license agreement separately with both Jay and Maya. Maya, that sounds like someone you work with, but I will, <laughs> I will add that typically like those major artists you hear on the radio, Aerosmith, Taylor Swift, Drake, you know, name anybody that you've ever heard on the radio ever in your lifetime. Those people don't normally have a common use license for their music. Absolutely not. Those you have to pay for. Another one would be royalty-free music. As the name suggests, royalty-free music means that you don't need to pay royalties to the artist every time you use it. It can also include any song you need to make a one-time payment for or have a subscription to use. Royalty-free music typically includes a lifetime license while others are active only as long as you have a subscription from the service you've found a track on. That's important to note. If your license is only for as long as your subscription to the service lasts and you let that subscription lapse or you stop using that subscription service and that music is still in your podcast, they can come back for it for you. For Remember, we were talking about that 10% of listens that come to your podcast even after the first 36 hours have passed. Yes. Yeah. That can add up rather quickly depending on the size of your of, of your podcast inventory. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you you keep if you're using a subscription service that you're keeping up with it. I would recommend trying to find the lifetime licensing though because quite honestly, it's very similar music and you can find really good stuff uh, even in the lifetime licensing. A third option would be the public domain music. And this is where the copyright on a song eventually expires. And when it does, the track enters the public domain where you can use it however you want. 
a lot of older music, like classics and older children's songs, fall into this public domain. Uh, you can also broadcast any music you get as long as you have written permission for use. It can be very expensive, but you can easily ask a musician, friend, or smaller bands and artists to use their track on your show as long as you give proper attribution. Important to note, the song might be part of common use, but the actual performance is not. So Happy Birthday is probably one of the more famous songs in regards to this particular ruling because it was not part of the common use for a long time. And then it finally, that's why you always heard television shows not sing Happy Birthday during somebody's birthday. They would sing some other weird song or when you go to the restaurants, they would make up their own happy birthday song because they didn't want to pay the licensing to actually sing happy birthday to you. Now, I'll use the Aerosmith version again. If Aerosmith decided to sing or perform happy birthday tomorrow on, say, the Jimmy Kimmel show, you can't use that performance because it's copyrighted. Well, first of all, it'd be copyrighted by the Jimmy Kimmel show. But secondly, the performance itself is a different copyright than the actual copyright of the song. You can follow that thinking. In essence, it gives us the right to sing happy birthday to each other without regard of paying a licensing fee. But if we were to use somebody else's performance from like a recording or a television show or a live broadcast, that could get us into some trouble. Wouldn't that be crazy to get a bill every time your birthday comes around? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that would be very funny if somebody (laughs) decided, you know what, we assume there were this many births between this date and this date, and thus happy birthday was sung this many times. We want to check from everybody Wow, (laughs) for singing it that many times. I guess I'm on the hook for 46 times. I'm on the hook for 40, so yeah. And my parents were divorced, which meant I spent a good number of my years (laughs) twice... I had it sung, so yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Where can I get some pod-safe music, John? You can Google search for a bunch of them. Some of the my favorite ones are Pixabay, which is a completely free resource for quality, royalty-free stock music, images, and even video. How do you spell that place? P as in Paul, I-X-A-B as in boy, A-Y. This place is cool because you can browse music based on genre and mood, and it offers a wide variety of sound effects, too. All the content on the site is copyright-free and released under Pixabay's license, so you don't have to give the artist credit or pay a fee. By the way, important to note, we are not getting uh, paid to talk about Pixabay. This no. is just a place that, that John has found and, and really loves using. Mm-hmm. Another place is the YouTube Audio Library, which is an extensive selection of royalty-free music available for free use and unlimited downloads. You can search the music library, again, by mood, track name, artist, or genre. And if you upload your podcast to YouTube, you can even overlay the downloaded track on top of your footage directly on the site. Downloading the songs are easy, and all you need is a YouTube account to get started. Also important to note that we are not being paid by YouTube, because if we were, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. But if you would like to pay us to uh, talk about your PodSafe site, uh, feel free. Info at qd-up.com. We'll gladly talk about your service if you pay us the right amount of money. <laughs> There's a couple other that I'd like to get into here for paid podcast music services. Okay. Uh, these are resources 
that are a great alternative if you want a more extensive selection or higher quality jingles and theme songs. Places like stockmusic.com, audiojungle.net, or Soundstripe. Those are all different varying prices per track or per monthly subscription. Nice. I can tell you I've used Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Yes. Uh, which has a number of great tracks on there. And these are lifetime licensing fees. Uh, so you can as you can use these songs as many times as you want. The best part about what Premium Beat uses, and I'm sure these other sites do too, is it gives you the breakdowns of mm-hmm. of the particular song. So if you just want the drums from a particular song, you can just get the drum track or the guitar track or the mm-hmm. vocal track. If you're using vocals, for the most part, I don't recommend using vocals in your <laughs> podcast music, but that's what's nice. And they too, you can search by genre or mood. There's another music site and I'm sorry, I forget the name of it. Uh, but again, if you paid us, I wouldn't forget it. <laughs> uh, that actually allows you to search the music for soundalikes. So if you oh. were a big ACDC fan and you wanted that ACDC song, but obviously you can't pay for the licensing for the ACDC song, you put it in and it gives you options that are soundalikes to that particular song, which I think is also really cool. It was a really cool feature, especially when you're looking for that type of music in particular. I agree. Uh, what are some of the myths uh, involving Podsafe music, John? Hmm. There's a couple that we can debunk here, Jay. Number one is that you can use any music if you're not making money off of it. Yeah. Which, <laughs> no. which you're, you're still going to be subject to copyright, even if you have a small podcast with only a few downloads and no plan to monetize. You and I are both Gen Xers, so we remember the days when Napster ah. actually went after Grandma. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, no. Another myth is that you can use any music under fair use. (laughs) While fair use is a legitimate defense for using copyrighted material, in some cases, you can't use a copyrighted song with the intent to claim fair use. Yeah. So, (laughs) no. Now, I will mention there is a new service that was introduced by Spotify over the last couple of weeks that allows uh, people to create shows using copyrighted music that is within Spotify and these shows can only air on Spotify. And that is because Spotify owns the licenses to those Mm, songs, right? These would not be podcasts per se, because you're not creating an RSS feed and it's not getting distributed everywhere. You can only do it using anchor service, or apparently you can use Spreaker service for the spoken word and create a playlist with Spotify. Ultimately, I don't know what the value is there. I mean, Spotify is still only the number two listening destination. Right. And it's number two by a long ways. It's Mm -hmm. when we were talking before a 6% drop to a a 2% drop. We're talking Apple's at 60% and Spotify is still down at like 5% of all podcast listening. So it's got a long ways to go before there's a significant podcast listening audience. Mm Mm-hmm. Another myth, Jay, is that as long as you give attribution to the artist would understand, which the artist might. (laughs) Giving credit to the artist doesn't exempt you from the copyright law either. 
Yeah. The artist might, the music publisher, i.e. the music company, the record label will not. Here's another big one that I, I get very often, which blows my mind. It's, it's okay if I play less than 10 seconds of a song. One second. That's yeah. all it takes. An artist owns a copyright in his or her work as soon as it's created. It doesn't matter if it's registered with the copyright office. They hold the exclusive right to, the, to determine who uses the work and for what. And what that means is for podcasters, you absolutely cannot use any portion of someone else's music in your podcast. Not the whole song, not the half song, not 10 seconds of a song, nothing. There is no 10 second rule or any doctrine stating that you can use 10 seconds of a song without penalty or that one, two, three, four, whatever seconds of a song will always be fair use. There's no 10 second rule, but is there a three second rule when I drop something on the floor? I can pick it up. <laughs> yes. No? Yes. Oh, okay. Perfect. Excellent. I'm glad to know. <laughs> Unless you have a dog, then then you might have to fight on your hands. <laughs> mm, that's very true. <laughs> All right. Well, I've learned a lot here, John. I'm, I'm really liking it. Teach Pod Vader a lesson which I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that wish they could have, including my parents. But I will never learn, or I will learn, especially in podcasting. I certainly will. All right, John, you ready to talk about the Apple podcast numbers? Let's get into it. Uh, once again, thanks to Daniel J. Lewis, mypodcastreviews.com for the latest info on the total number of podcasts in the Apple podcast app. 1,556,526 total valid podcasts. That means 35,356,436 total episodes available in the feeds. We went through all of the numbers in episode one, and we'll, we'll do this on a monthly basis just this week. You know, in the last week that we've seen uh, 13,000 new podcasts added to Apple Podcasts and only uh, about 1,200, just a little over 1,200 uh, were removed from the Apple Podcasts app. So a ton of new podcasts being added on a weekly basis to Apple Podcasts. We're going to hit, I, I feel, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not very good at projections, but I feel like we could hit 2 million before January 1st. I think it'd be close, Joe. Because we mm. still got at least eight, nine weeks before the end of the year times, what'd you say, 13,000? Yeah. Um, let's see here. The projection from September to October looks to be about 100,000, maybe a little bit less, maybe only 50,000 new podcasts from September to October. So if we're only adding them at 50,000, it's going to be tough to reach 2 million by January 1st. But still going back to what we said last week, where from 1 million at the start of COVID to at the the end of the year, almost at 1.75 million. It took us 15 years (laughs) to get to 1 million. It's only going to take, it's going to take us less than a year to get to 2 million. That's crazy. Again, this is only on Apple. So, and right. And again, this is only on Apple. This doesn't include all the new podcasts and all the other listening apps. Do we want to give a shout out to our top listener to our podcast, John? Do we want to say hi to 
all those overcast listeners out there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. We appreciate every single listener out there. And please, if you know others that would enjoy this type of content, let them know we're here. We're available everywhere. Podcasts are heard and you can subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. We'll be out once a week. Right, John? Yes, sir. Unless the uh, the world blows up. Whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's not put that out in the atmosphere. It is the year 2020, John. Who knows? Yep. <laughs> Anything can happen this year, right? Let's not let's not put that out in the ether. Let's not uh, let's not think about those sorts of things. Uh, I did read an article saying that uh, there's an asteroid that most likely will hit Earth here, the size of a refrigerator, on my wife's birthday. So that's that, we have that I, to look forward to. Yeah, I I do, <laughs> I don't want to look forward to that. No, thank you. With that wonderful note, John, how can people get in touch with you before that refrigerator-sized asteroid hits the Earth? They can contact me on info at qd-up.com or through the website at qd-up.com. That's queued up, just in case you queued guys up. didn't realize what that meant. It's queued up. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at the real pod Vader. I have nothing to do with the refrigerator-sized asteroids. <laughs> uh, or you can email me nextfanup at gmail.com. Those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. I'll gladly help you with your podcasts and what not. Until next week, John. I am Pod Vader. There you have it.